You know, uh, living in Texas uh, all of my life, I have, and now working at Watermark in particular, I have come to to understand that there is really two types of people down in Aggie land. How many Aggies are in this room? Go ahead. This is your chance. Thank you. Um, you can't ever mention that without getting one of those, right, in a, in a public assembly like this. But I've come, to, I've come to learn, and especially in those lean years like this year, come on, whoop, you know, um, you know, those, those lean years, you, you have those who are the fully devoted Aggies, right? I mean, 100% die hard, still betting on the Aggies, wearing the maroon, going to all the games. I mean, I work with one of those guys. I love him, and he is all maroon all the time. But then, you know, there are those that they call the two percenters, right? And, um, and those, those guys kind of rise to the surface on years like this year, um, and recent years when A&M's lost to Baylor, but we won't bring that up. But, but, but those guys just kind of rise to the surface. You see who the two percenters are, and you see who the die hard, wear maroon, drive maroon trucks, go to Aggie Land on the weekends. You know who those guys are. And, um, and Jesus, believe it or not, in Luke chapter 9, he encounters three two percenters. And I want to spend some time this morning with you looking at three conversations that Jesus is going to have with two three percenters. And this is found in Luke chapter 9. Turn with me if you would, and we're going to pick it up in verse uh, 57. Now, you perhaps have, have come across this passage, and it's, um, it was discussed briefly in our homework, I believe, but, and you've seen it probably several times. It's, it's brief, but I think it is loaded with truth. And as I was thinking about what our homework was discussing of who Jesus is, primarily, that he's fully God and fully man, and there's many rich truths in that chapter. And then it stopped, though, and it spoke on what does it mean to follow him? And then it went to, as we follow him and as we trust him and we believe in him, we have a new identity in Christ. But the thing that captured my heart was to refocus again on what it means to follow him. Not, not from a two percenter perspective, but a hundred percenter, you know, good and bad, um, thick and thin scenario, fully devoted follower of Christ. And, um, and Jesus is going to give us some insight in what it means to follow him in these three conversations. Now, just to set the context and give you a little understanding about the book of Luke, which um, is, is not easy to pick up on if you just kind of read it here and there. But you do notice this progression that all of a sudden in Luke chapter 9, um, the gospel starts to record multiple times the fact that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He is on his way in Jerusalem. So in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, it talks about how he's on his way to Jerusalem. In verse 51, on his way to Jerusalem. Verse 53, sets his mind to go to Jerusalem. In chapter 13, verse 22, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. 1711, 1831, 1911, 1928. You don't have to write all this down, but the point is, there's something significant that happens here in Luke chapter 9. 
that, that Jesus has gathered his disciples, that, that he has a ministry that's begun, but he is on mission. He is on point. He knows what he has come to do. He knows what he has to do, what he's called to do. And he has set his focus to go to Jerusalem and accomplish that mission. Namely, to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. And, you know, and there's people that are coming and going in his life. The crowds are, you know, large because they want to be around this miracle worker. But things start to take a serious turn in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, where um, we see that he says, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What he's saying here is, hey, this isn't going to be a life of ease. So let's look back here at verse 57, where these three conversations begin with three different individuals. Frankly, we don't know a whole lot about these individuals. We know from the book of Matthew that the first one that comes up um, happens to be a religious teacher, which is a detail Luke leaves out. But you have people coming and going, and all of a sudden, as they're on their way to Jerusalem, verse 57, we'll pick up, and it says, And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, comes up to him and says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Interesting. One guy comes up and with great allegiance, you know, full devotion, wearing all the maroons, so to speak, right? He goes, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus kind of slows him down and goes, hey, just before you make such a promise, you need to understand something. The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's Jesus saying? I think very simply what Jesus is saying is that to follow him requires that we make personal sacrifices. Following Jesus requires that we make personal sacrifices. It's not going to be a road of ease. That's what he's saying. There's nowhere for him to lay his head. This is not going to be a road of ease. It's not going to be a road of comfort. In fact, it's going to require sacrifice. Sacrifice of your time, of your money, of your comfort, of your dreams, of your own agenda. Again, he just finished saying, if anyone wishes to come after me, he's got to deny himself. He's got to pick up his cross. He's got to die to himself and follow him. I love the quote that uh, Duval has in the homework of, of what Kempis said, said Jesus has many lovers of his heavenly kingdom these days, but few of them carry his cross. He has many who desire comfort, few who desire affliction. He has many friends to share his meals, but few to share his fasts. Everyone is eager to rejoice with him, but few are willing to endure anything for him. Many follow Jesus up to the breaking of bread, but few as far as drinking from the chalice of his passion. Many love Jesus as long as no difficulties touch them. Many praise and bless them as long as they receive comfort from them. Man, isn't that true? Of course it's true. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, to follow me, count the cost. And let me just tell you up front, it's not going to be a life of ease. And how many of us are willing to profess our faith? But man, when times get tough... It is easy 
to tend to want to run, isn't it? And Jesus is just telling him, hey, before you make such a bold profession of faith, to know me, to really know me, is to follow me. The second guy comes up. And he says, uh, verse 59, it says this, And Jesus said to another, follow me. But he said, permit me first to go and bury my father. Seems like a reasonable request. But Jesus responds, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying here is, is that to follow him requires us to make him and his will our first priority. If we want to follow Jesus Christ, what Jesus is saying here is above anything and everything else, no matter how reasonable it may seem, we've got to put Him and make Him and His will, His agenda, our very first priority. When it says, I like how the message interprets this. The message reads, Jesus refused this man. First things first. Your business is life, not death. And life is urgent. Announce God's kingdom is how the message reads. Point being is that Jesus is saying, allow the dead to go bury the dead. Allow the spiritually dead to attend to the spiritually dead. Your priority now is kingdom business. Your priority now is the gospel, the advancement of my kingdom. He's only echoing what he said in Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you as well. But if we're honest, like this man, when we're called to follow Jesus, sometimes our tendency is to want to follow him on our own terms. According to what seems convenient and seems right to us. And Jesus' words here are hard. The bar is just raised. It's not lowered. And I think, unfortunately, in all of our message within uh, American evangelical teaching, we so desperately tell people to come, 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 and rightfully so. And we should say to everybody, come, come, come. But we've got to explain what to come to Jesus means. To come to Jesus is not simply just to, to walk up on a Sunday and Maybe say a prayer or repeat a prayer that somebody says. But to come to Jesus means to say, hey, I'm willing to follow Jesus. I'm willing to follow. I may not get it all right. I may not be perfect. But I'm realigning my priorities. I'm in. And that's what Jesus is saying. You want to follow me? Come with me to Jerusalem. And so a third guy walks up. And another says to him, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Seems reasonable. Again, that Jesus says to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And what does this mean? I think Jesus is communicating that to follow him requires us to do away with our old way and habits of life. We have to do away with our old way of living. That there's a new way of living. It requires a singular focus that says we don't look back like this, but we look ahead. Now, having grown up in Dallas, I haven't done a lot of plowing. All right? But I understand that um, 
from doing a little reading and talking to some folks, that when you're plowing, one hand is required to move the animal, right, and to spur that animal on, and another hand is required to hold on to the plow. And if you're going to plow and you're going to cut that ground and you're going to be effective, you can't spend your time doing this. Otherwise, you will steer that animal in the wrong direction. And I think what Jesus is saying to this man is, is, hey, you can't afford to look back. You can't afford to look back at your old way of life and dabble with your old way of life. It requires a singular focus, a singular forward direction. Not a dabbling with, oh, I liked this part of what I was doing back here, and this seemed right from what I was doing over here. And Jesus said, no, 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 we're moving forward. I'm going to take you in a new direction. And it's going to require all your attention, all your focus. It's no different than what Galatians 2.20 has said, a verse that's familiar to so many of us. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So you have three men who come to Jesus. And we don't know a whole lot about these three men. Other than that, they were boldly willing to publicly proclaim their allegiance to him. And Jesus, with just a few words, says, hey, be careful before you say that. Understand what it means to follow me. And the implication is, after each one had boldly made their proclamation, and Jesus challenged them, all three went their own way. All three went their own way. I... uh, I recently did something that um, I really thought I would never do. And, um, and that is, it's no really all that big of a deal. I just thought, well, it's just a lot of time, a lot of money, too much effort, and I'm probably just not that guy. Well, um, it's not this. I, I joined a gym, okay? I thought I'd probably do that. Um, but what I did is with this gym membership comes the opportunity to take advantage of time with a personal trainer. And, uh, and that's probably something I thought I'd never do. I was like, man, those guys are just going to wear me out. Right? And, uh, and, and, you know, it's a lot of money. And who do you know? You know, who's a good personal trainer and who's not a good personal trainer? And I don't want to drink something weird or whatever they're going to put me on, you know. And, um, and so, but I, I joined the gym and, uh, that I respect a lot and know these guys. And I'm like, okay, and these, these guys are legit. And so I said, sign me up. I, I need a personal trainer. So, uh, let me just tell you something. There is a difference working out by yourself and working out with somebody who knows what they're doing and who sits down with you with a plan and says, Blake, do this. Blake, go over here, do this. Come over here. Hey, you can do it. Hey, come here, come here, come here. Come over here. Do this. Hey, man, no, no, no. You're locking your knee. Every time you go up, you're locking your knee. You know what you're doing right there? You're resting. I got you for an hour. We don't rest in this hour. So when you come up, you keep your knees bent. I'm like, oh, man, you're killing me. You know, he's like, hey, the only way you're going to get stronger is if you don't rest. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep going. You know, you've got this hour, you know, and all the other hours out of the day, you're sitting at a desk drinking coffee and ding-dongs. All right. So when you're getting here, man, we've got to be about the business of getting in shape. And I just sat there and I go, you know, this has, just as Paul makes many, many times allusions to physical shape and, spirit and paralyzing, paralleling with the spiritual life, 
It has enormous implications. I was just sitting there talking to my buddy, who's, who's my trainer, and I was going, man, do you, there is a difference. There's a difference between joining a gym and just kind of paying for your membership, coming in here, kind of looking yourself in the mirror, you know, uh, trying to see if you're getting bigger, right? Sipping on some coffee or Gatorade or whatever it is, lifting a few weights, talking to people for 30 minutes, and then kind of calling it a day and leaving. And there are guys who do that all the time. You know, it's kind of a social club. They come in, they come out, but they haven't lifted thing one. And if they are lifting thing one, they sure aren't getting stronger doing what they're doing. But at least, hey, they're part of a gym and, and they're kind of bebopping in and out. And I sat there and I go, you know, to get in shape requires initiative. You, somebody could say to you, hey, here's the plan all day long. But until you say, no, I'm in and I'm going to do this and I need help, I need accountability, I need somebody who can see what I don't see, I need somebody who can help me not cut corners, man, until I have that, I'm probably not going to get in shape. And I just thought about Summit, and I thought about the number of people that come here every single Sunday morning, and the, number, the droves of people who signed up to become a member at Watermark just this last Sunday. And I go, man, you know, there's lots of people that belong to churches in the city of Dallas, in America. Lots of people who belong to churches. But they're really no different than the guy who has a gym membership, who kind of comes, kind of goes, maybe lifts a weight here or there. But then there are those, man, they belong. And they're not two percenters, but they're following. I mean, their hand is on the plow, and the other hand is hitting that animal, and they are making ground. And they're setting a pace that all of us sit there and go, I want to follow that guy. And my hope and my prayer, gang, I cannot tell you... um, how encouraged I am to see this many guys at Summit week in and week out every Thursday morning. And, and, and if you look around, the numbers are starting to dwindle a little bit. It's early. You know, we're halfway through now. And, and, and I just sit there and I go, how many of us, how many of us are willing to go, all right, Lord, to know you means to follow, which means I need accountability, which means I need other people that will help me put more weight on the bar, see things which I don't see, so that I don't become one of those guys who publicly says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever. And then when I'm challenged by the word which he says, I just kind of sheepishly walk away. You've got an opportunity this morning and the week ahead, weeks ahead, to sit down with some guys, to be honest, and to look at what Scripture has to say as to who Jesus is, what it means to follow him, and how blessed we are to have a new identity with him. And I pray you all take advantage of it. Let's take advantage of this time to understand the rich blessings we have of being a follower of Christ. Let me pray for us. Well, Lord in heaven, um, I thank you so much for the clarity of your word and the, and the challenge that rings out from this little passage just by three short conversations you had with folks. I thank you for... Um, how we're all personally challenged today, Lord, to uh, rethink our commitment to you and what it means to follow you. But it does require personal sacrifice. It does require us to do away with our old way of living and our old way of thinking 
and our old habits. And it requires a singular focus on what's ahead. And I just pray, Father, that as we gather in groups as men today, that you would um, richly bless our conversations. That your spirit, which is alive and at work today, Lord, would pierce our hearts with the truth of your word. And that you would use this, this time, Lord, to cultivate the soil of our hearts. That, Lord, it would not just be a profession of our lips, Lord, but it be um, characteristic of the way we live our lives. A life of full devotion for you. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.